Holy, holy, holy God, we gather to worship and adore you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Welcome to Fellowship Church on this Trinity Sunday and the last Sunday before school is out and summer is officially in session. Come on, for you students and teachers, I am celebrating with you. Giddy up. Jesus prayed that we, the church, would be one, just as he and the Father are one. Today, we offer our prayers and praises together as one body in Christ that is going to gather around one table with one host by the power of the Holy Spirit. In harmony, let us together glorify God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's stand and sing together.
Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Friends, let's join together in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we join with the psalmist who says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens and from the lips of babes, you have ordained praise. And so we celebrate today with Easter hope that the crucified one is Lord and that he, Jesus the Christ, ascended into heaven and now rules forevermore. We celebrate with gratitude that on Pentecost you poured out your Holy Spirit that we might have power to be your people in the world. And to that end, we sing a thousand hallelujahs and we pause to say, O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. Forgive us, please, almighty God, for the, all the times that we come up short of your designs for us. Please make us aware of the times that we participate in any kind of impurity, gossip, slander, anger, wrath, malice, and so much more. For all the dirty deeds that we have most definitely done, and for all the good deeds that we have clearly left undone, we pray that you would have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions, that we might live forgiven and free and in the joy of your salvation. We pray also this morning for the organized Christian church throughout the whole wide world, and especially now, this week coming for the General Synod of the Reformed Church in America and for an upcoming chaplain's conference as well as these leaders in our own denomination gather for worship, fellowship, discipleship, care, mission, and more. We pray for unity, for clarity, for kindness, for connection, and we pray that your wisdom would guide and strengthen and sustain these gatherings and the work that flows out from it. We pray all of these things through the strong and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, teacher and friend, and all God's people said, amen. Friends, whether we are thinking about our personal relationship with God, our life together in the church, or our role as God's ambassadors in the world, in all of it, we recognize that it is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we have peace with God and peace with one another. So the peace of Christ be with you. Would you please rise and pass that peace to one another this morning? Well, friends, you may make your way back to your seats. That is a happy buzz to hear throughout the sanctuary this morning. The Lord be with you. My name is Ross Dielman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where together it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. And we are so glad for the many of you who join us in that mission already and are always eager to welcome in new folks to do so with us also. If you do happen to be new, you could fi find and fill out one of our connection cards available at the Welcome Center out back or online as well. We'd love to get to know you and hope that you might get to know us together. And another op option for doing that in particular as we shift into summer mode here is we have a tradition of doing a thing called dinner groups here at Fellowship. And if you'd like to sign up and be a part of a dinner group, either as a participant or even as a host, we would need that as well. Uh, you're invited to do so online on the nifty new, new apps that we've been inundating you with to get on your phones. Just one app. 
on the techno devices. You just do the things, okay? Find it. If you need help with that, there's a QR code in our new bell, which is hot off the press. So on page three, you can find the stuff about the dinner groups, but throughout, there's all kinds of other stuff. This is hot off the press, our newsletter for the church. Hopefully, it's in your mailboxes this weekend or maybe even tomorrow. And if you didn't get it, we'd love to have you added to our list so that you can. Lots of great content in here for our life together, for our summer series, celebrating new members and mission things and youth stuff lots of photos. It's really great. So uh, hopefully you can get your hands on a copy. If you don't have one and would like one, they are available at the Welcome Center uh, out back as well. Looking ahead to next Sunday, please do mark your calendars. Maybe you have already. Uh, next week, Sunday, 5 p.m. is Bryce Vanderstelt's ordination service. So a night church kind of thing. And we get to celebrate Bryce and what God is doing in his life and his continued ministry here among us, including some new features. We're, we're glad to celebrate that together. Again, it's next week, Sunday at 5 p.m. You also heard in the prayer, uh, just I want to invite you to continue praying this week for a couple big events in the life of our denomination. The General Synod is gathering, and there's also a chaplain's conference coming up in the next week or so. And so please do keep that on your mind and in your prayers as that is happening this week. Summer is a great time to uh, celebrate living here in West Michigan. We get to live here. How wonderful is it that everything is a bloom so much so that our allergies are driving us nuts. Uh, but we're grateful for the abundant harvest that comes through in this particular season of summertime in West Michigan. And it reminds me of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 16 that says that the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for us. Thanks be to God uh, for that. And the, the pattern of our scriptures is to give back these first fruits, these blessings of God, to give them back to God. And so we do that here at Fellowship with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. You can do that in the sanctuary with the giving bowls at the back of the sanctuary, or you can also do so online. And we're glad to partner with you in ministry and in mission together. Lots of things start up in summertime, but one thing that we celebrate as summer begins is our graduates. So I would invite forward Bryce Vanderstelt, our Minister of Youth and Young Adults, who's going to help us celebrate the ones graduating in our midst at this particular time. So please, Bryce, take it away. Morning. Uh, each year when we come to gradu graduation Sunday, we invite those who have graduated not only high school, but any degree above, so college, master's degree, PhD, uh, to submit a picture of themselves and to answer the questions, what did you graduate from? And what are your plans next? So we have some of those submissions uh, this morning, and we're going to watch a short video with that. When the video is done, I'm going to invite any graduate, whether you are in the video or if you're not in the video, I invite you to come up in this service. We're actually going to stand right down here on the floor. So when the video is done, I invite the graduates up, but let's watch the video first.
All right, so at this time, I know we have some, uh, but any graduates, if you would come forward now, uh, we'd appreciate it. See, James is leading the pack. Let's do it. Everyone's sitting, everyone's like, oh, should I? Should there? We look at them all. So a couple of things, uh, one more who I know is not here this morning, uh, but I've, see, I've been getting notes throughout the morning from uh, others. Uh, Jenny Jaspers uh, graduated with her Master's of Science in Machine Learning and, at the University of Illinois. So that is another one. There we go. See how I didn't make you go up on the stage? See, uh, yep. Was there anyone who's up here who was not in the video that would like to say where, <laughs> throwing sister under the bus, I'll say who would just like to say where you graduate from and what you're doing next? Um, so I'm Anna Bruins. I just graduated from Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine, got my MD, and now I'm going to do my residency in family medicine at Trinity Health St. Mary's in Grand Rapids. Or if anyone wants to add anything to that, they're all like, you didn't ask us to say anything, so we don't want to. Fair enough. All right. <clears throat> I'm organized. This is all. All right. At this time, I'm going to sit down here because you guys are more important than I am. So I'm going to sit down here. Uh, but we're going to pray for you all, I say, and for all the graduates who are here who we don't know this morning or who were unable to be here. So uh, if you would, extend a hand. Uh, towards these graduates as we pray for them. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the gift of uh, education. We're thankful for perseverance of getting through. We're thankful for not only learning uh, facts about the world, but in learning those facts, uh, we learn about the world that you've created. We learn about uh, history. We learn about humanity, and we learn more about you through all of those things. And God, we pray for each person here as they close a chapter uh, in their lives and they move on to this next chapter, we pray that you would continue to be with them, whether that's in a new school or whether that's in a new career. God, we believe strongly that you go with us into all of our careers, all of our workplaces, all of our relationships, and we work to live our faith out in those spaces. So we pray that you would continue to help them to grow, that you would help them continue to grow in relationship with others and in relationship with you, uh, that they would continue to become uh, the people that you have made them to be. So we celebrate today and we thank you for this group of graduates. It's in your name we pray, amen. amen. One more round of applause. <clears throat> then after the service, if you guys would like, we got gift bags by the Welcome Center, so feel free to grab one of those after the service. But I'll let you guys go. Thank you very much. And then this next song is a song of blessing. Uh, it's also a time where we will dismiss uh, children for children and worship. So that is ages three through first grade. Nailed it. All right, let's sing.
friends, a few years ago, about 30 of us at Fellowship embarked on a nine-month journey of deepening our apprenticeship to Jesus, learning to follow him more closely and engage in practices that would together transform us, continue to form us into his image. During that nine-month class or experience, we sought to memorize Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Today, Pastor Tierra is going to be preaching on that text, and so we thought that this group could lead us in this text via video. Thanks to those from that class and some others who had taken the class previously uh, for brushing up on the text and sharing it with us, and thanks to Bryce Vanderstelt for filming and producing the video. In just a moment of silence, let's prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not our things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God will come to those who are disobedient. These are the ways you once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self and its practices, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And in that renewal there is no longer Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Clothe yourselves with compassion and with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which bonds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is such a gift to be able to gather together as a community of your people, set apart as your own, to worship you, to sing to you, to pray to you, to confess to you, to experience your peace and to extend it to one another, to bless the graduates in our midst, and to study the scriptures. As we turn toward those scriptures this morning, we 
pray that you would open our eyes that we might see, that you would open our ears that we might hear, and that you would open our hearts that we might love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. It's been a couple weeks. I've missed you. I've missed your faces. <laughs> so good to see you. Uh, my name is Tiara. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship. And today we are wrapping a series that we've been calling Afterglow. Uh, in this series, we've been exploring the resurrection appearances of Jesus and unpacking the implications of the resurrection, not only for eternity, but even today in our own lives. What difference does the resurrection make is the question that we've been asking. What difference does the resurrection make for our souls or for our lives or even and especially for our relationships? And not just in the normal peaceful moments of life when everything is going as planned, but in the hard moments when things go awry, when important things are at stake when the marriage is on the line or the addiction is taking its toll on a friend or when a child's future is at stake, when a sibling is being bullied, when a colleague is being harassed or when you yourself are being mistreated, what difference does the resurrection make? Or maybe if you're the church at Colossae, when false teaching has begun to lead your brothers and sisters astray. What does the gospel mean when you actually have to contend for the things and the people and the relationships and the community and the faith that matters? What are the implications of the resurrection when the conflicts of our lives can't be avoided or shouldn't be avoided? This is precisely where we pick up in chapter three of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. But we're dropping into the middle of the letter, if you will, which is a little bit like getting added to a text thread midstream, unless you're an Android user and you can't be added. Uh, so just who are the Colossians and why is Paul writing to them? Well, first we learn in Colossians chapter one uh, that Colossians, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. Uh, we learn from a map of the ancient world in the first century, around the first century, that Colossians is, or Colossae is about 100 miles inland. Uh, Colossae used to be a major economic center known for manufacturing a, a kind of red wool cloth that made it very prosperous and also popular. But by the time we get to even 100 BC, uh, their competitors in neighboring cities Cities that pretty much dwarfed them um, economically. Uh, we also learn uh, from history that Colossae is quite diverse and even within our text. Uh, not only are there natives who go back generations, uh, but also people pejoratively referred to as barbarians because they didn't speak Greek. And then we also hear people called Scythians, uh, who were the worst kinds of barbarians because we love our hierarchies. Uh, <laughs> and then there's tons of Greeks. Uh, and then there's tons of Jewish people who have also settled there over time. We also learn from history uh, and, uh, that Colossae is quite syncretistic, uh, which means there's lots of different worship, different kinds of worship happening, and sometimes they're blended together. Uh, there's pagan worship of the Greek and Roman gods, uh, particularly the god of erotic love, which comes up in our text. Uh, there's Jewish worship because Jews have settled there. Uh, and uh, there's also Christianity right smack dab in the middle of all of it because there's this new church plant, uh, which kind of brings me to the last little tidbit about them. Uh, because this new little church plant in Colossae was not started by Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul or St. Paul, uh, brilliant, prolific church planter though he be, but actually by his friend, Epaphras. Uh, we read about him in 1 Corinthians, or sorry, uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, down in verse 7. 
and seems that Epaphras is from the city of Colossae, and he happened to hear Paul preach, um, and he was so electrified by the gospel message that Paul preached that he brought it back with him to his hometown, and he started a church there, and Paul says in his letter that it is bearing fruit there. Now, Paul himself is writing this letter sometime between 60 and 62 AD. He's writing from prison. Uh, We read about that in Colossians chapter 4, where Paul tells the, the church at Colossae to remember his chains. Uh, So Paul has never actually met the people uh, of Colossae, even though they know quite a bit about who he is through Epaphras. Now, Epaphras has come to visit Paul in prison, and he has shared quite a bit about things that are happening at the church there. Uh, So Paul writes a letter, and he sends it back with his friend, and he says a lot of things on the front end of the letter. He encourages them. um, He he names the fact that their faith, their hope, their love in and through Jesus Christ is um, just absolutely beautiful to to see and to hear about, and that Epaphras is selling about to him. Uh, But he also uh, tells them that he's been praying for them, that Paul has been praying for them. Uh, And what is the nature of Paul's prayer for them? Uh, Specifically in Colossians chapter one, that they would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says it like this. And so from the day we heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's a lovely prayer that Paul speaks and prays over them before he ever even sets pen to paper, daily interceding for a group of people whom he's never met, lifting them up and their spiritual needs up in the Lord before he ever writes to them. And as we move through the book of Colossians, we realize that this is not some random prayer that Paul is praying over them. It is actually the heart of his letter to them because it seems that there is some false teaching at Colossae, which we read about in Colossians chapter two. Apparently, Paul says this false teaching and those who promote it and those who practice practice it have the appearance of wisdom, the appearance of wisdom. Notice the juxtaposition that Paul is making here. There is the wisdom and spiritual understanding that Paul prays over them. And then there's the false wisdom, the false wisdom on the other hand, that they're practicing. Now, what exactly is this false wisdom? Well, we read about that in Colossians chapter two. Uh, It is a kind of ascetic, uh, mystical Judaism. Uh, This is a blend of two themes that emerged during uh, the Second Temple period. If you recall, the Second Temple period runs from about 515 BC, uh, when the Persians um, basically say to the Jewish people, you are allowed to go back to your homeland. Uh, The Babylonians had taken them into exile. The Persians came and said, no, you can go back to your homeland and you can rebuild your temple. And here's a bunch of money and gold and other things to help you rebuild that temple. Uh, And we, that uh, time period lasts from about 515 BC up until about 70 AD when the Romans destroy that temple, which is the second temple. Now, Uh, We read about the rebuilding of the second temple in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, But as you can see in Ezra and Nehemiah and, and even from history, not everyone returns 
to um, Jerusalem. Not everyone loves the second temple. Uh, the, you can, uh, the elders of the community literally weep when they see the temple unveiled because not everybody loves the temple. They don't think it's as grand. And not everyone believes that God's presence is in the second temple as it had been in Solomon's temple. And suffice to say, things were complicated, unlike religion today, which is uncomplicated. Uh, so as a result, lots of interesting developments take place within Judaism, and two of those interesting developments are asceticism and mysticism. Now, you might be um, maybe familiar with um, something like the asceticism of this time period uh, in people or groups like the Pharisees, uh, kind of like that. Uh, they rigidly observe food and drink laws. Uh, they practice all the festivals and the days and the feasts. Uh, it appears that there are some people in the church at Colossae uh, who are taking on uh, these really, really rigid, really rigorous, really strenuous um, practices of the faith, really physically taxing and and physically severe on the body, Paul says. Uh, they've, they've picked up these practices or they've returned to these practices. Uh, they're observing festivals and feasts. Uh, they're repenting in sackcloth and ashes. They're beating their chests when they repent. Uh, they're taking on these very physically severe forms of worship. Now, in addition to that, you've got the mystical side. Uh, you may not be necessarily as familiar with the mystical side as kind of tucked in the New Testament in ways that you might miss if you're not looking closely. Uh, but during the Second Temple period, uh, a kind of mystical Judaism also emerged in which people would seek revelation from God um, and wisdom from God through participation in worship of the angels. Uh, you might notice if you've read the Old Testament that there's not a lot of talk about angels. It's super, super sparse. But by the time you get to the Second Temple period, there's angels everywhere. Angels everywhere. Uh, one of the, the narratives uh, is, the, is the book of Tobit. And in the story, uh, Tobit's son, Tobias, marries Sarah, um, and Sarah's life has been haunted um, by demons who particularly um, take an interest in her husband. So every time she marries, a demon smites her husband's. Um, and so in the image, is a 16th, uh, 17th century uh, painting, the angel Raphael, familiar angel Raphael? Yeah, um, is basically um, MMA fighting one of the demons on their wedding night. So, <laughs> so lots of angels and other things that come up. Now, this begins to take on a life of its own um, beyond that time uh, to the point where people are now uh, in this community seeking visions um, of angels worshiping, uh, revelation through the angels. Uh, Paul says that there worship of, there's worship of angels, but there's also people going on um, in detail about visions that they're seeing um, which is, it, it, again, it gets really, really strange, really, really fast. Uh, you put these two things together, asceticism on one hand, mysticism on the other hand, and you get a very, I mean, very, very strange version of Judaism and an even stranger version of Christianity. It'd be like an amped up version of CrossFit being combined with an amped up version of like a charismatic movement and then sprinkling some like essential oils on top of it. Uh, it's just like super, super strange. Uh, it'd be like every time you show up for church here and you're in the atrium drinking coffee and people are talking to you about visions that they've had and trying to get you to use essential oils and, and <laughs> asking if you even lift, bro. <laughs> uh, so, you might be thinking, why on earth would anyone need to be warned to steer clear of this? Like, would you need to be warned to steer clear of that? Probably not. Uh, but why on earth would these people need to be warned by Paul to steer clear of an ascetic, mystical form of Judaism? Uh, and the short answer would be paganism. 
Remember, the spiritual backdrop of Colossae is not just the Judaism of the Second Temple period, but the specifically the paganism that goes back generations, uh, worship of pagan gods and goddesses. Uh, N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, uh, notes particularly the god of erotic love that it shaped the culture, shaped the culture um, and the people of Colossae. Now, against this backdrop of paganism and the immorality and the practices that may have started off as pleasure, but eventually began to wreak havoc on people's lives and relationships, um, against that, the high moral order of Judaism looked quite appealing to people. Even the spiritually and physically rigorous version of Judaism seemed like a breath of fresh air. Physically rigorous practices and seeking angelic vision seemed like a way out of pagan immorality that had destroyed their lives. You see, there's always something appealing, something that makes false teaching promising or attractive to people. But here's the thing. Paul warns that these practices aren't actually helping them become more holy or grow in holiness. Instead, he says, God's people are actually being led astray and the problems in their community and the problems in their relationships and the problems in their lives are worsening. And worse yet, he says, the people who are engaged in these practices are looking down their noses at the people who aren't. Paul says they are puffed up without reason, which is his way of saying that they're being arrogant and judgmental of the other people within their community. Now, when you add judgmental attitudes to false teachings that are leading people astray, you get a rather explosive, conflictual situation that threatens to engulf a tiny little church plant in the middle of nowhere. In essence, someone is already making the second Reformed Church of Colossae sign in their basement somewhere. Uh, so what do you do when the conflict can't be avoided or when it shouldn't be avoided? When real people's lives and the possibility of freedom and peace for them is at stake or when the community itself is at stake, when relationships are at stake, when faith is at stake. Epaphras is so burdened by these questions that he visits Paul in prison to seek counsel. And what does Paul offer him and to the church at Colossae? Well, he offers them three invitations that spring from the gospel to love Christ, to choose Christ, and to put on the love of Christ toward others. First, Paul invites them to set their minds on the resurrected Christ, that rather than looking to the pagan powers and the human traditions and the angels or even to their own shame over their past misdeeds, that they are to look to the resurrected Christ alone. Look to the resurrected Christ who has conquered sin and death and darkness in our world and in our lives and even within our souls, which means that not only are their sins forgiven, but they have been raised to new life in this Christ. And they can be assured that when this Christ appears in glory, they will appear with him. Paul invites them to set their minds on the resurrected Christ because if they stare at him long enough, they begin to see that the victory they're working so hard to achieve has already been secured in him. Now, this might sound a bit too abstract, but notice what Paul is doing here. You see, we become what we think about, and what we continuously think about, we eventually love, and we imitate what and who we love. Think about it for a second. Have you ever noticed yourself talking about your best friends or your siblings or your significant other or spouse or your kids or your grandkids or, or maybe your favorite colleague in conversations with people who don't even know them? 
working them into conversations with people. Um, even more, have you ever noticed yourself mimicking them or maybe doing things that they do or, or maybe using certain turns of phrases that they use without even trying? We mimic the people that we love and care about. There's a little anecdote I heard years ago about a brilliant woman scholar in philosophy who had been mentored by an equally brilliant male scholar in philosophy. And eventually, one day, she came into her own as a brilliant philosopher and thinker. She had students of her own, and, and she was in class with these students. And uh, one of the students began to ask her the same kinds of hard questions that she had once asked her mentor and so she stepped back from the podium from where she lectured, and she folded her arms, and, and she began to stroke her beard as she thought about the answer for a while. <laughs> you get it? She doesn't have a beard. <laughs> we become what we think about, and what we continuously think about, we eventually love, and we imitate. We imitate what and who we love. This isn't just a sociological phenomenon, it's a theological one too. Now, Thomas Aquinas, 13th century theologian, notes that love precipitates imitation. John Owen, similar to him, a 17th century theologian, notes uh, that love gives way to assimilation. We take on the qualities of those that we love. First, Paul invites them to set their minds on Christ and in doing so, to love him and to imitate him. Secondly, Paul invites them to choose the Christ they love, even and especially when it's hard to do so. In the face of the sin that characterized their old lives, they are to choose Christ. In the face of sexual immorality and covetousness and anger and wrath and slander and gossip and obscene talk, and even in the face of the identities that they've willingly inhabited or maybe have been forced on them by their culture, they are to choose Christ against the identity of being Greek or Jewish or, or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or Scythian or slave or free or Republican or Democrat or Ohio and the rest of civilization or Android and Apple. Paul says to them that because of the gospel, these are no longer determinative. Sure, they will participate in society like regular citizens of Rome, but they are no longer the first or the truest thing about them. I guess the truest thing about them is no longer the sinful habits that characterize their old lives. It is no longer the labels and the identities of their culture, but the word etched onto their foreheads in the blood of Christ, redeemed. Our redemption was secured by Christ's death. And similarly, our restoration involves our own death, which is not quite as sexy as angelic visions and mystical experiences. It's not the kind of stuff that gives you millions of followers on Instagram, resisting sexual immorality when it's just easier to give in and probably more fun feels like death, resisting covetousness and jealousy and envy when social media makes it so easy to compare ourselves to other people feels like death, resisting unhinged anger and wrath even when other people hurt us, it feels like death resisting slander and gossip and lies against a person you disagree with, it feels like death. Resisting obscene talk about the people that we're against, it feels like death. Resisting ultimate and particularly blind allegiance to party flat platforms when social circles and, and life now revolves around these things, it feels like death for the people of God. But Paul says we no longer live in them, we live in Christ, and we are being renewed into the image of this Christ, 
And the ways of the earthly kingdom are simply not the way of nor to the kingdom of Christ. And so for this reason, Paul invites the church at Colossae and us to die to the ways of the earthly kingdom. And in doing so, to choose Christ, even when it's hard. Lastly, Paul invites them to put on the love of Christ toward others. Paul has quite a few words to say about false teaching in their midst. He confronts it and he does not mince words. He is honest about the fact that the path to life and freedom and peace is not the same, is not the same as the dead end path that they're on. But notice how Paul does it. Notice what he does. To combat the false teaching, he invites the church at Colossae to put on love for Christ and the love of Christ toward others. That rather than their words and their deeds being peppered with anger and malice and slander and lies and gossip and obscene talk, that there should be, first of all, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and ultimately love. This is the difference the gospel makes. It doesn't tell us to passively let sin and death and darkness overtake people and relationships and communities and the church that we love, but it does change the way we engage. It takes the obscene talk from our mouths. It refuses to engage in slander. It chooses kindness and allows compassion to well up from deep within our souls. It listens rather than overtalks. It forgives rather than strikes, and it loves rather than hates. I'm not sure if you're listening to the same podcasts I listen to or watching the same channels I listen or watch or watch or reading the same articles or books that I read. Um, but what I hear is a lot of obscene talk and slander and wrath and contempt and disgust. I think you hear it too. I see the coarsening of culture. I, I see the hardening of character which sort of begs the question for us as the people of God who are set apart by our God. What sort of world or republic or community or relationships or even church will be left if we all become monsters in pursuit of it? As we've walked through this series, we've introduced you to the Colossian Forum's model for engaging conflict, the five Gs uh, that we call them, and I won't go through all of them, but um, they are practices for conflict transformation, or to put it another way, it's five steps to not allowing our conflicts to turn us into monsters, but instead to become more like Christ through them, to love Christ and to choose Christ, and to put on the love of Christ toward others. And this requires the kind of Christian character that has been shaped by its first love, who is Christ, which is not a matter of moral rules or ecstatic angelic visions and mystical experiences, but about the everyday decisions, the everyday decisions and practices by which the Holy Spirit conforms you and I to the image of Christ. Our practices matter our habits matter. Paul uses this language of um, taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Um, and it's, it sounds easy on paper, but the reality is there's some new, there's a new arrangement in our souls. And there's a new direction for our souls and it takes a while to get used to. Similar to how when you rearrange the furniture in your living room, how long does it take you to bump your shin on the coffee table before you get used to the new arrangement in the living room? 
Or maybe you change jobs or you move to a different neighborhood. How many times do you catch yourself driving to the old job? Or maybe driving to the old house that you used to live in? Or maybe you changed classes at the end of the or beginning of a new semester or trimester. How often do you find yourself walking back to the old class? It's really easy to slip back into old habits because muscle memory, muscle memory is a thing not just physically, but also within our souls. It takes every ounce of our participation with the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence within us to literally move us to a place where we can get used to the new arrangement and the new direction of our souls even and especially in the moments that are really challenging for us. I'll close with this. Um, The Colossian Forum, in addition to presenting us with a model for conflict transformation, also presents us with virtues uh, that need to be cultivated within us to help us lean into conflict transformation really well. And you'll notice in the middle is the virtue. On the sides are the deficiency or the excess that tips into vice on both sides. Um, There's something really particular about what's in the middle, though, about the hope that is different from its lack, which is despair, or, or the excess of it, which is presumption, or the humility that on the one hand can be arrogance or pride, or on the other hand, empty servility. But what we want is the humility in the middle or the generosity toward others that is different from dismissiveness of other people or gullibility, or the courage that drives us, which is different from timidity on the one hand or recklessness on the other hand, or the forbearance that rather than impatience or permissiveness, And undergirding all of them, again, is not a set of moral rules, but the very same spiritual understanding and wisdom that Paul prays over the church at Colossae. All this is to say that loving Christ and choosing Christ and putting on the love of Christ toward others in the heart moments requires something of us. It makes something in us. But thankfully, we're given grace for the journey. The whole thing is quite literally fueled by grace And it's hard to know precisely how that works within us, but Jesus tells us that it's as real as the way that bread and wine nourish our bodies. Just as bread and cups sustain and nourish us, so too the grace of God within us. And in this, we're reminded that loving Christ and choosing Christ and putting on the love of Christ will never be in vain, for it is the only way to the new life that Christ has secured for us and for all of creation. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so immensely grateful for the grace that loves us and chooses us and redeems us and restores us. We pray that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to know how to participate in that restoration for ourselves and for those around us so that we can enjoy you both now and into eternity. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Word or do you do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? This morning we have the practice in both word and in deed to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on Christ, to practice the works of Christ. At this communion table, we have a chance to remember that it was Christ who, when the stakes were high, when conflict could not be avoided, so it seemed, and division was only just going to happen, Christ entered into this world and took on all of the grossness of this world and made a way for us to be in communion with him and communion with one another. It was that Christ that we get to... Whoa.
it is that Christ that we get to commune with here at this table who has power uh, and can redeem and forgive us. Um, and that is at this table that we are given hope, hope for a new world, but hope for this world too, that in our practices of living out Christ in Christ's life, that we can be a different people and show a different way. So we come to this table in remembrance, in communion, and in hope. That was a nice special effect. Yeah, I, I, I'm good with that, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe if I tap my... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Join me with the words on the screen, please. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. For it is holy Let's pray together. Holy and right. It is for us, O oh God, to give you thanks, for you are the creator of all things. You are the great giver of life, and you are the one who took action for us and for our salvation through your son Jesus. And you have even gone further in giving your spirit to us so that we would be made new, made to be like him, and welcomed into your great purposes for this good world. We are mindful today of the invitation to recognize ourselves as now hidden with Christ and to put to death, therefore, whatever in us is earthly, fornication, impurity, greed, idolatry, all of those things, and to put on instead the wonderful gifts that you have given us, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness, love, and peace, and so much more. We come to this table seeking your help in that very journey. Help us to lay at the foot of this table, at the foot of the cross, anything that doesn't belong in us, and help us to put on, in Jesus' name, everything that you intend for us. We ask that you would do it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it was on the same night that Jesus was betrayed that he gathered with his disciples around a table, and after having given thanks, he took bread, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, remember, and believe. And after they had supper, he took the cup and said that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The bread which we break and the cup which we bless are to us the communion of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. At Fellowship Church, we welcome to this table all who love God and who are learning to follow Jesus. On the screen behind me, you'll see a diagram of our sanctuary. Our general flow for how we do this is that you exit left and return right, so you're invited to come forward when you are ready. We take the elements by intinction, which means that you take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and take the elements together. We'll have four stations up front and a gluten-free station over by the cross over there. You can also stay where you are, and if you'd like the elements simply brought to you, raise your hand, and a roving elder will bring the elements to you. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come for all things are not ready. Man, really set me up. Uh, the elders are invited to come forward uh, for serving.
blessing for us this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.